Hey, this is Bob Lee, and you're listening to Over the Ball with Kevin Flynn, the world's game from an American perspective. Hey, listen to that. That's the voice of Bob Lee. And guess who our guest is today on Over the Ball? Hey, everybody. Kevin Flynn here on Over the Ball alongside soccer journalist Sam Griswold and media executive Braille Hallett. Over the Ball is brought to you by Soccer America and Ticket IQ. Today's guest, as I just said, the general, Mr. Bob Lee. We're going to pull him out of retirement uh, so we can talk to the boys. So, guys, what are you over this week? Huh? I'm over. I'm over a surly teenager that I have in the house. Uh, like, the, like the coronavirus is somehow my fault. Yeah, you know, like I'm. I live to be your chambermaid and short order cook. Oh my goodness, I'm. I'm over it. I'm over it. How about you, Sam? I think I'm over all these classic games that we're watching. The sort of bout of nostalgia that we're all going through. Already. Uh, my point is this. My point is this. Right. I don't want to watch a game that. I know the result of. So don't put on like a classic that everybody knows how it ends. Put on some game that, you know, everybody forgot about or never saw to begin with. So I can sort (laughs) of actually relive it. I saw something on Twitter, so it must be true, uh, about a guy said, hey, NBA teams, NFL teams, every league should play one game behind closed doors and no one knows the results. And you can you can air it during times of national problems. Oh, <laughs> yeah, idea. little archive. So that's right along your, uh, what are you over, Sam? Grail, what do you got? What are you over? I am over unrealistic deadlines set by not only within sports, uh-huh. but in the realm of politics. But let's talk about sports specifically. The EPL shouldn't be talking about April 30th at this point. They should just- Are they talking about April 30th? They are. That's when they reevaluate. They should just say indefinitely. I just want everybody in sports to either say we're rescheduling to another year or whatever it is, or it's indefinite. What's behind that, Grail? What's behind that? The money, I would imagine. I think what's behind it is keeping the fan base engaged, keeping a ray of hope. I get, I get the idea behind it, the optimism that something will happen. But you got to keep the fan base alive first. But I, but I think just being candid is more important. So I would just say indefinitely, and if it ends up being sooner, it's a pleasant surprise. That's it. You know, Dr. Fauci should be uh, advising all these leagues on when the league can actually open. I think yes. uh, our, our president wants to open two days ago. So uh, <laughs> with everything. So, uh, yeah, but you got to follow the money there. Right. Because those players get play get paid because of television. Right. So they, they, they you know, do. But but here's the other thing um, they were talking. Um, Sam, we'll go to you with Italy. Um, this game, they call it uh, Game Zero. Talk a little bit about that. You know, Italy is suffering incredibly. And um, one of the factors is this game. Tell us about that. Yeah. Uh, so first off, to, to your point, Grail, the, the Italian Federation, I completely agree with you. The Italian Federation is, you know, still saying it's committed to finishing this season, you know, perhaps mm-hmm. even playing into July and August, um, which, again, I don't know how that would shift the landscape moving forward. But, uh, but I agree. I mean, it's, it's, I think just to say we're not playing for the foreseeable future is the, uh, the smartest thing, to, the smartest way to go. Um, but, yeah, so, uh, you know, experts have kind of started pointing to this game on February 19th in Milan um, between Atalanta and Valencia as, uh, you know, really being kind of they're calling it this biological bomb, this sort of like game zero where the virus really started to spread um, in Italy and got brought back to Bergamo, which is where Atalanta are from. Um, they were playing their Champions League games in Milan at San Siro because their stadium is not um, at UEFA regulations. Uh, and from that, you know, 35% of Valencia's team became infected. And now Bergamo has obviously become, you know, the worst hit city in Italy. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, you know, obviously sad and, you know, makes me think about the blueprint going forward for, you know, sports yeah. in general and, you know, thinking how after a tragedy, it seems like it's usually sports that we kind of rally around and it's the first thing to kind of come back and, mm-hmm. you know, sort of reestablish normalcy where it seems like in this case, it, you know, it might be the last thing to come back. Well, two points there. The first one, Sam, that I take from that is, you know, we, we say like in the beginning, people were saying, well, let the players play. Just no, no one in the stands like that was going to cut down on uh, the coronavirus being transferred to others. But if you look at when guys are smacking up against each other, full sweat, 
uh, and going at it for 90 minutes. Uh, you know, 35% of the players that came off that pitch um, had the coronavirus. They go home to their kids. They go home to their parents, you know, whatever it is. It's absurd. So this is why to talk about just having the players play during this is just not enough uh, as far as the social distancing we have. So, and all, and all those games that were being played in all the leagues right up until the end, until they couldn't play anymore, you know that all of those matches between the players and the fans and stuff had an impact. In Spain, especially. I mean, Spain is just devastated by this, and they were playing matches up until the point where they were just told they couldn't. And so that's why I say, you know, based on the news of this game zero, uh, how do you have guys play still while we're still trying to battle this? There's bigger things in sports, unfortunately. Yeah, that's going to make for a, a Netflix series, I predict. That match, it's going to be almost like the Chernobyl version of sports. They're going to, you know, you could do like a four-part series just counting down to that game and all the things that were going on behind the scenes about whether, whether or not to play it or not play it and the risks involved. And unfortunately, they decided to go ahead and play it. And it proved to be an absolute disaster. Disaster. Um, didn't, is that where you lived, Milan? Uh, no, I, I lived in Florence. Oh, in Florence. All right. So I said, you know, I have friends who have friends over there. And it's, it's really, really scary. And, you know, wondering if it's, uh, you know, it says apparently heading here. I mean, we have it. I'm, you know, I'm a New Yorker. I'm out in New York City right now. But uh, the levels are, are going way up. We're you know, we got to start thinking big picture here and, you know, uh, to play a soccer game is just seems so absurd. And for them to make that argument, I guess we just always follow the money. And then, um, guys, before we got on, we were talking a little bit about this uh, Belarus. They're, they're still playing. Their league yeah. is still playing. Well, not uh, even still playing. That's the best part. I mean, their season just started last week. So this was the first game of their season. So, I mean, yeah. not only were they not midseason, they had, you know, a very natural <laughs> sort of – it's like it's a different world to push things back. You know, they're not breaking something up that's in motion. Now, how could you have that? I know nothing politically about Belarus, but is it a, a dictatorship? It's Does authoritarian. Yes. It's you know, I may play D1 yes. ball, but you guys went to better schools. So I figured no. I'd hit you up. <laughs> no, it's, no, it's, you know, it's one of those countries that can kind of do whatever the heck they want. And they chose to, there was a, there was a great picture in the New York times of one of the matches in Belarus and it was a corner kick and it looked like a crowded subway in the, in the, you know, around the goal on a court. And you're just looking at this saying, none of this can be good. Like this is, you know, 12 bodies packed into a tight little area anywhere in the world is not a good idea right now. This is the thing that's surprising me about the United States' reaction to this. We're actually all acting somewhat provincially where we're saying keep keep away from our area don't come to this island or don't go down to florida or stay out of the midwest like it's going everywhere it's going to hit everywhere because well, it's and people are acting and people are acting differently in different areas where mm -hmm. in new york and california they're basically staying in home and in florida and texas they're like well it's no big deal down here and it's and not guess what work. it's yeah. coming their way so it's sort of like, you know they should learn uh, learn from it yep. all um and, so, and, you know, so I, I don't know. We, we have a lot to talk about today. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about before we jump to Bob, take a break? Guys, we good? Well, we were going to mention the Olympics, I think. Well, you know, um, that's a no-brainer as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. It's, I don't get, you know, what's the big decision? I mean, you know, we're talking about this uh, game zero where 35% of the players get it. Do you see why the NBA quite prudently said right away, uh, yeah. we got to cancel this season. Um, I didn't see like, it's a, it's a big deal. Now they've moved it, right? They haven't canceled it. They just moved it. Well, they've, yeah, they've postponed it till next till 2021 dates TBD. A lot's going to have to do with the, um, NBC, uh, broadcast contract and, uh, any, you know, if it's going to butt up against anything, but, uh, that was the right decision. Thomas Bach, who's the head of the, uh, IOC, the international Olympic committee, I thought was really slow on this. I thought he should have done it a month ago. I, he was holding out for some miracle to happen. And, uh, and basically his hand was forced. His hand was forced by, uh, by the countries who were pulling out. And he was, it was embarrassing for him, frankly, because he looked like he was tone deaf to the situation. So this seems like it's happening a lot where people think, well, not us, it's not here, not, uh, you know, and it's coming. So it's sort of, uh, you know, what is it? E pluribus unum. 
uh, exactly. together we're one. So uh, and what's Grail? What's the deal with the uh, the naming rights around you know the Euro and the Olympics? Calling it twenty 2020 twenty versus twenty twenty one. There seems to be like old school. Yeah, so they're they're having a debate, Sam, about whether or not they want to do kind of a hybrid version or an asterisk or something. You know, my personal opinion is you essentially call them the same. You call you call it Euro 2020 and you call it uh, Tokyo 2020 and you just host them in 2021 and it's a way to reflect back on the, the year that it was supposed to happen. I think it's right. a way to kind of honor and remember the year in which it was supposed to take place as opposed to kind of rewriting history. By the way, from a merchandising standpoint, Etc. It's a nightmare because you would have to. All the companies that are marketing around these events have created products, etc., around that 2020 date. So they would have to redo all of that, all the Olympic merchandise. So in a way, it, it becomes a collector's item. All, all the all these stuff that's been made will continue to have the 2020 name on it. And it'll the, just be the 2020 Olympics in 2021. Yeah. But I mean, it's uh, to me, I think it's good recognition and a reminder of what everybody went through. Yeah. All right. Well, it's uh, yeah. And this is history that we cannot forget. And speaking of history that we will not forget and certainly soccer history, broadcast history, our guest today on over the ball is Mr. Bob Lee. So uh, we're pulling him out of retirement. He was, uh, did a, uh, a show on Facebook Live. They they pulled him out. He was in somewhere sunny, sunny and and warm, and he was on with Alexi Lalas and uh, Taylor Twelman talking about the Snow Classico, the game in Colorado against Costa Rica. So it was a lot of fun to watch. I said, let's get Bob on. We'll talk about that. We'll also talk about the state of the game, uh, the progression that it's gone through, uh, the ups, the downs, and then just uh, the state of the world right now and how sports and and everything else play into it. So you're listening to Open Ball. We'll be right back on OTB with the great Bob Lee. Joining us now on Over the Ball, multi-Emmy winner and longtime host over at ESPN. The guy's supposed to be retired, but just like in The Godfather, just when you took me out, you're pulling me back in. We're bringing you back in, the general, Mr. Bob Lee. Good morning. How are you today, Bob? Good morning, guys. How are we doing? Yeah, it's, uh, uh, it's been a busy time. And you know what? It's good being busy. It beats the alternative. It beats watching the news. Yeah, I know. The news is depressing. Uh, something that was not depressing was watching you the other night. It, in the Snow Classico, it was a Facebook Live thing. I said, I thought this guy's retired. And there you were. It seemed like you were having an absolute blast talking with Taylor Twelman and Lexi Lawless about the game against Costa Rica, which you covered. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, you know, speaking of Sunday night when we did that, by the way, that came together in like three or four hours. Just like they were going to live stream the game anyway because it was yeah. the seventh anniversary of the game. So I suggested to Michael Cameraman and the guys at the Federation, I said, let's put the band back together. Yeah, and and so the the idea of doing it was great because I've worked with those guys, you know, uh, Alexis at Fox and, and and Taylor, of course, the ESPN. So it was it was it was it was neat. It was really neat. But you know, that game was was seven years ago. The context of that match, you got to remember, uh, the United States. It was the the second match in the final phase of qualifying, and the U.S. had gone down to Honduras, and I was down there in February of 2013 and lost two one. They gave up a goal in the 79th minute. And, and after which Klinsman was talking about, well, maybe he didn't uh, anticipate the impact of heat. Well, we were in Central <laughs> America and it was a 3 p.m. start and it was the second and it was the second round of qualification. So, I, OK, fine. Yeah. But now, five, six weeks later, the opponent is Costa Rica. There is absolutely no love lost between the two national sides and the two groups of fans. The game is in Colorado and, uh, at, uh, you know, at altitude. Uh, in the meantime, in, in several days before the game, and again, we're sitting on zero points after one match. We're coming back to play an arch rival. And then Brian Strauss, who was now with the Washington Post, but at the time was writing for, I believe it was the Sporting News, published a devastating piece that included input and quotes from 20-plus sources about the discord on the U.S. national team, the, the factionalization, of it, if you will, the fact that players had – uh, lost confidence in Jurgen Klinsmann's ability to, to manage the team and his tactics and whatnot. And this thing dropped 
like a large piece of armament, boom, right into the pregame run-up to a must-win game. So all of that was percolating yeah. as this game approached. And so we had this game on a Friday, and the following, was it Tuesday or Wednesday, we had to go to Mexico City. So I mean, first off, that's a tough trip just to pack for. Mm -hmm. So I had to like, I had to make a tight connection. So I packed all my, my cold weather gear and shipped it out in front of me because you know, your scarf and your whatever, all that stuff. Cause we, so, so, but for Mexico, you probably had a couple of speedos packed. I would imagine. Exactly. You know, tri-colored speedos too. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and it, they were a size too small, but you know, oh. yeah. 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 who'd complain that, about that? Nice visual. Nice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so that, that, you know, uh, that was, that was the atmosphere, Kevin, in which, in which the match was played. You know, it was uh, a wonderful little respite for me because look, you mentioned the news and all the, the depressing stuff. We talked about it a little bit in the opening, but uh, to be uh, taken away for uh, 40 minutes was, was just sort of nice. What also struck me, Bob, and I think you've got to feel good about this because I know Taylor and Alexi and uh, they both consider you their mentor in the business. And I said, boy, all you needed was Rob Stone in there. And here you have your three former, uh, you know, guys who were basically learning under your tutelage. That that's got to feel good, doesn't it? It's it's fun. We're, we are the best of friends. Mm -hmm. um, we had so much, and basically, what you saw, and it's archived on the U.S. Soccer Facebook page, uh, and I think on their YouTube channel as well. So you can go find it. But that conversation was, um, save for the absence of a, of a couple of glasses of whatever, and maybe language that was more PG than, than otherwise, was breakfast or a production meeting or a post-game, whatever, that was just us putting the band back together and talking about stuff. And, and, and which is why, you know, when you have, and you know what this is like, and both you guys do, you know, you have, you have a, a, a chemistry like that on a set, uh, in a broadcast, or on a team. When you know that that ball's going to be there, and if I check that, you know all of that. Right, right. And and it, 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 it replicated, and it was like stepping back in uh, after three or four years of, of since we the three of us, because I think Alexi left for Fox in 2015, so it's been going on four or five years. Um, it was it was like putting on an old glove, not not OJ Simpson's glove, but a real glove. Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. But you know, Bob, but didn't. I thought the, the Costa Rican team would call the game and not want to play, but they actually well, they you don't could get see to call the game. Well, but they were they were arguing to continue to play the game. I remember that they were. I think you guys were covering. I mean, the coverage yeah. was. I mean, God knows your game plan goes out the window. You talk about Klinsman never having one, but you you guys having a, a broadcast game plan, and all of a sudden that happens and everything's up in the air. But I remember the Costa Ricans wanting to play it. Well, at that moment, and I don't understand it. If you go back and look, and again, the game is also the the, the live stream of the game is is on the U.S. Soccer Facebook page. You can go back and look at that there, and I was watching it, and I and. I, there, I'd never watched the full match. I mean, shoot, it was snowing. I mean, I know it was yeah. snowing because I ended up with a snow mullet that night because I didn't wear a hat. <laughs> uh, you know, the other guys wore the infamous hats. And if you see, chicks dig it, chicks dig the snow mullet. Uh, and, and Alexi wore the hat, and somewhere I think I still have that hat at home. Um, but uh, it was, I. you get to that moment about the 55th minute when the referee picks the ball up, and it looks like in the match commissioner, had already been to the touchline, but he had vamoosed back in. Say, he's from Grenada. You think he's ever seen weather like this? I mean, the yeah. and again, if you've never seen it, if you're if you maybe you're new to U.S. soccer, you just you know don't have a specific recollection of the game. The day before it had been 65 degrees. Now it's 30 degrees. We're at 5,500 feet of altitude. Um, we are un under a blizzard watch. The snow began just before the match. The winds are at 40 miles an hour. It's coming in horizontally. You can't see the touch lines. You can't see the box. They're oh, trying their best with shovels at, at every interval to try and clean the field. And so now 55 minutes in, the ref picks up the ball, and it looks like there's going to be a suspension. Now, they could abandon the match. Yeah. They could, which means you'd have to play it f totally with the U.S. hope having a 1-0 lead, totally over, discount the Dempsey goal, and go back and do it again which would totally screw up the qualification calendar. Or you could maybe pick it up the next day, which would have been impossible because the temperature plunged even further and all that snow froze in place. And I, I remember the next day trying to walk over to the U.S. hotel to interview some guys for the Mexico match. And the rivets, I mean, it's like walking through a war zone because everything was, was frozen at six-inch piles of, of snow everywhere as you're trying to walk. So... 
uh, yeah, it looked at that moment like the Costa Rica, but they did want to continue playing. And I, I to this moment, don't understand why they did. Right. I know, as I told that story uh, on the air, I mean, it, it was early in the second half. We had just done halftime. We're outside. We're getting pummeled by the elements. Taylor and Sir Ian Dark are upstairs calling the match. And I got the window open, but they can't see anything. But at least they've got a modicum of protection in us some semblance of heat so alexi and i you guys had nothing huh? <laughs> so we go upstairs and stand behind them just to you know kind of to show our support but also to, to get some shelter casey's down in the press lounge and i you know i can't see how they're calling the game because i'm standing right behind them and i can't see a thing and their monitor is not worth bleep in fact it may not have actually been working then we're up there when they pick up the ball looks like well if they suspend the match or call the match we got to be on the air and our set is 160 <laughs> yards down that way we have to go downstairs through the concourse everyone's in the concourse because everybody's trying to get coffee and to stay warm so he and i alexi and i are running through this jungle and of loving u.s soccer fans who want to stop and talk and guys we got to go you're Kids wearing you're wearing snowshoes well actually i was wearing yeah but my my ll uh, bean boots thank god i thought to you know ship those out but uh, we got back just in the nick of time. And as we get there, of course, they continue the game. So all for naught. Right. But it was, um, uh, you know, it was as bizarre an atmosphere as you'll ever see. And I think it's more compelling, the video of that, mm-hmm. than, um, than any NFL game you'll ever see. You know, it's yeah. always fun to watch something like that. And people tell me stories. And that was, a, that was a Friday night in the NCAA basketball tournament, I think the second weekend, maybe the first. People were turning away from CBS and TBS to watch this because it was like, what am I seeing? It was so yeah. visually compelling. Yeah, uh, It was fantastic. It's part of U.S. soccer history now, too. And, and we got the win, which, uh, which counts. Uh, Grail, did you, you? Yeah, yeah, Bob, it actually reminded me a lot of that famous Patriots-Raiders mm-hmm. game with, with the Venetary kick with the snow, with the plows on the field and stuff. I was having, like, flashbacks to that game when I was watching it. But I... But I thought that maybe the most fitting thing of all was that after Costa Rica agrees and asks to play the game, as soon as the final whistle blows, they protest the game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> was that just perfect? And well, and also, and I just saw this on the U.S. this post on the U.S. soccer page because everyone. I mean, look, Costa Ricans got screwed. They, I mean, there's no. If we're going to be totally objective, yeah. About this, they should they should have abandoned the match exactly, and but they didn't. And by the way, all's fair in love and qualifying because you then yes. get down to Costa Rica, and U.S. players will tell you that that little old bandbox stadium that they used to play in before they built the Chinese built for them a three hundred million dollar marble temple that's incredible. I've been to it, but at that old Costa Rican uh, stadium outside of San Jose, uh, they would throw bags of urine. They would throw. They would throw pieces of barbed wire. I mean, when you took a corner kick, I mean, your welfare was in danger. And I'm not exaggerating. Yeah, yeah. I talked to players mm-hmm. who've been there. Um, but part of the uh, protocol is that you take a picture of the match, whether it's a team picture or something representative, and have it made and framed and presented to the Costa Rican delegation by the end of the match. It's part of the, you know, the gentlemanly sportsmanship protocol that you know attends to all of this. And so they went in to clean out the Costa Rican locker room after they had all left, and the thing is smashed in ten pieces. The glasses, they just took, they took this picture from the Americans and just threw it against the walls. Oh, great, <laughs> great! And I, I fully, I fully get it. And by the way, yeah. return match on that phase of, of of qualification, I was down in San Jose for that. They kicked our butt three one. Mm-hmm. I think that was the game where Josie Altador got a, a yellow card in the 92nd minute for no reason and, and couldn't play against Mexico. Mm-hmm. And then the next cycle, of course, which was part of the cycle when the U.S. did not qualify for Russia, we'd go down there and remember it was 4-0, and that's the job, mm-hmm. game that cost Klinsman his position as manager. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you knew, but you mentioned that Brian Strauss article and before that game. That seemed to turn the tide. I think uh, Klinsman before that was somewhat infallible, and then all of a sudden things were like, we all sensed that things weren't going well, but then we were, you know, we had it uh, confirmed for us. Well, yeah, I, I, I'm trying to remember where that is on the on the the time continuum. Whether that was before or after he had been uh, given the dual position of technical manager as well, yeah, which was like raised a lot of eyebrows, raised for him a fair amount of money because you know they rewrote his deal and uh, reports of his compensation. I forget the exact numbers at the time, but I mean he 
I think he was making, reported to have been making about $2 million a year as, as manager. And I think this new position just simply added to that. There was a huge financial commitment by the U.S. Federation to, uh, to Klinsman, and with reason. Um, of course, subsequent events have shown that, you know, his magic as manager may have, may have hit shelf life. Right, right. It's a tough job to hold on for a while. So and this is coming from a man who is hitting the head with a bag of urine. So don't uh, <laughs> actually, I got hit in the side of the head with a bag of urine in Mexico City and my ear was filled with urine. <laughs> it's like I had to go shower. Yeah, wow. It's worth this day without knowing that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, you're talking about to play in a, a snow covered stadium. The big difference when you go down South and Central America, like you were talking about with that stadium, every place you enter is like a war zone. You're like, literally, they're trying to call you at the hotel room to keep you up at night. They're, they're you know, pumping throwing, loud music, throwing stuff at the bus, you know, then yeah. you get to the stadium. And you're like, oh, good. We're we're safe. No, 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 I don't think so. So, uh, Sam, you had a question for Bob? Yeah. So, Bob, you know, this is a moment where a lot of nostalgia is obviously going around in the sports world, watching these old games and everything. And just listening to you talk about this, I'm reminded of how, you know, for me growing up anyway, ESPN was like really the one destination for soccer in this country and especially the national team. And maybe I'm reading way too much into this, but I find it interesting that as things have gotten more and more fractured at U.S. soccer, They've also become more and more fractured in a broadcasting sense and spread out amongst these different networks. Um, and I don't know, I just, I wonder if you see any, any parallels in that as we kind of are struggling to define our identity right now. Uh, I, I, I'll tell you, we, the night that the United States failed to qualify for Russia um, and the, the, we weren't, we, I still, I still have a pronoun problem. Uh, you know, I collect their pension, but not their paycheck. Yes, man. Um, I was locked in a studio in Midtown Manhattan along with Jeremy Schapp. We were taping the 10th anniversary show for E60, and we knew that the, you know the finals. And Matt, as you remember, and we all know the final out of qualification. It's simultaneous. Um, and as we concluded our taping. Our executive producer, my very good friend Andy Tennant, walks out of the control room and walks over to Jeremy and I and the other people. We had been just in this bubble for three hours taping this stuff, knowing that the matches were taking place, assuming we, you know, you get a draw or whatever the other things would, would click into place. Holds up his phone that has the three simultaneous boxes and says, We're not going to Russia the way, you know, if events hold. Jeremy and I looked at each other. We just like couldn't believe ourselves. And I, I remember sitting in the back. I had a car bringing me back after we did that because my day had started at six in the morning with, you know, doing OTL in Bristol and down in New York to do this. Now I'm going home and doing uh, several shows on the radio coming home on my phone and on television as well, trying to put this in perspective. And, you know, incalculable the damage done. Put, put the money aside because U.S. soccer is, is well-positioned financially. And, you know, if they've managed their money, and I'm assuming they have from the 94 World Cup well, I mean, they should never, ever want. They've got multi-generational wealth as an organization from that. But just the, the growth of the game and what happened with not qualifying for Russia, I mean, it's, it, it continues to ripple. And, and, and then you've got, you know, the, the women's team, which is, you know, the state of the art. Um, and this this horrible public relations mess and reality mess over the uh, the filing and the language chosen in their legal argument, which cost Carlos Cardera his job. And there was yeah. enough criticism of his leadership or lack thereof before this to have. Yeah, it's so I you know, Sammy raised a good question. And on the broadcast side, look, ESPN was outbid for the World Cup at a certain point, and you know. It hurt. It hurt. It hurt me personally. It hurt me professionally. Just in terms of would have, you know, it reshaped the final chapters of my professional life. Um, it uh, it put Alexi on his path, and he made the right decision for him because he's Fox is in L.A. He lives in Los Angeles, but it you know, and it it, it reshaped that landscape for, yeah. for friendships and for careers and whatever. And also, uh, you know, so um, it is. You know, I see a match is coming up, and I'm not working actively so i'm gonna to have to google to find well is that one of the matches espn still has right. a fox match we'll have to watch it on Unimas. um 
and to some extent that that's always been the case. I, I'll just say that, you know, the World Cups we worked on, especially 2010, 2014, 2011, the Women's World Cup in Germany, the European Championships I was part of. I mean, going back to 1990, the first World Cup, uh, excuse me, 1982, the first World Cup I worked on. I'm just so proud to have been part of so many of them. And, um, you know, I, I, and I'm, 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 all, I'm glad that a lot of good friends that I have still, and they are more importantly friends than colleagues, who now work at Fox have that ability in their lives to have that, to have that joy because working on a World Cup, that's unlike anything else. Yeah, you started with the Cosmos as a, as a public announcer. I mean, oh, you've been to the let's, entire... Let's not, let's not go back that far. <laughs> and, uh, the Jurassic period. The Jurassic period, pre-Cambian <laughs> era. You know what did show up, though? And um, when we were in France in 1998, uh, my producer, there were four of us that traveled the countries, myself and Seamus Mallon, calling games and we had a red, white, and a blue team. We were the red team. So we called ourselves L'Equipe Rouge, the red team. Love, love Seamus. Yes. All time. He's a dear, dear friend. Mitch Green was our producer. Elizabeth Real was um, uh, our assistant producer and Stu Hodum was our, uh, uh, our statistician and, and, and researcher. And the five of us lived and traveled around France together. And Mitch at the end of this, uh, produced a 30 minute home video, but you know, high quality stuff. And I remember this, but I just got a copy of it that I could download and look at it because um, it existed on VHS and, you know, yeah, VHS yeah. machines in the shop. Like an A-track, um, yeah. But there was this moment in Nantes, I think it was the Brazil-Denmark match in 1998. And there's a shot of Seamus and I getting ready to do the game and we're talking to New York and we're going through our cards and, we're getting, and Mitch pans over and I say, oh yeah, look at this. And I point and it, you know, the groups of broadcasters, you're right next to each other. There's three seats here. There's three seats here. There's three seats here. So we have a seat. And right across the aisle from us as we pan over, who's doing the color for Brazil? But Pele. Pele. Oh. So I'm calling a game next to Pele. And I got visual proof. It's still one of the great memories, is, uh, along with, of course, introducing Bugs Bunny at Giant Stadium. That's it, man. From soup to nuts. That's amazing. With the great Pele. Grail? Yeah, Bob, you, you guys obviously set the standard for coverage in your World Cups, and I, I loved it, and I, I miss you uh, and, the, and the boys every time. The, what I had heard about the, the Fox bid was that it was so, so far beyond. It was so preemptive of what anybody else bid that it was virtually impossible for somebody like ESPN to win it because Fox just went in and just decided we're going to, you know, double whatever whatever anybody else bids. Is that kind of what you've heard too? I don't know that it was double. It was, it was, it was a very robust bid. Look, yeah. um, and I don't know what, what the number was that in retrospect, and we're talking about $2010, I guess it was mm -hmm. the year, 2010, 2011 when all that went down. Um, and so by, by 2020, you'd say, well, that's not a lot of money, but look, we're owned by Walt Disney corporation, yeah. a company. And, and, you know, I still say we, but at the time it was we. And you have, a, you know, you have to make a fiscally respect. There's no such thing as a loss leader, especially right. now. Mm -hmm. I mean, my God, what's going to happen to sports broadcasting, which is a pinky in the big issue, what's going to happen to the American economy going forward. But uh, you, you can't go in as much as you love the sport and as much as you're going to be creative and creating content and, and monetizing all of this, there's a practical limit. And your boss's boss's boss is going to say, we can't spend that money yet, but it was a healthy bid. And, yeah. I, you know, and, and if, if, if somebody wins a bid with, with an out of line amount of money, but they maintain that they can, they're making money on it. You know, what's the first rule grill. What's the first thing to teach you in accounting school? It's the question, you gotta, you how much is two plus in. two? Right. And, and the answer is, well, what do you want it to be? Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> right. no, wonder, no wonder I failed accounting. Well, Kevin, you've worked in Hollywood. I'm sorry, Gone with the Wind is yet to make a profit. I mean, no. Exactly, yeah, they're still hiding those dollars. Sometimes. So, so it's a long way of saying that, you know, if, if, they, if they maintain they've made a profit off of that, God bless them. Um, but, you know, the Fox Corporation of 2010 and 20th Century Fox and everything else is a very different animal. Here totally. Because most of it's owned by the Walt Disney Corporation. Mm -hmm. company and 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 you could make the case that disney was in a good spot to have that kind of available funds because they made prudent decisions in the last decade mm -hmm. but 
shoot, I wanted to do the wolf. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We're, you yeah. know, and, and now the Euros are, uh, looks like they're being, post, they're being postponed. So, yeah. um, uh, but you know, you're, that's the face I see when I see the Euros is Bob Lee. So that's, we want Bob Lee. Bob, can you, Bob can you, can you please yeah. come back? Can you please come back for 2021? No, I'm starting up the Bob Lee come back for the Euros petition on over the ball right now. Uh, I, pre- I appreciate that. Um, it sounds uncomfortably close to being work. Uh, <laughs> but Bob, yeah. this is, but Bob, this is my visual. You, uh, Roberto Martinez, Vincent Company, and some, I mean, that coverage the last time around oh. was fantastic. Thank you. We had, well, we, living in Paris for five weeks, the second time I've lived in Paris, by the way, for an extended period, that living in Paris for five weeks does not suck and does not suck with the 2014 tournament because you right. get extra rest days because the way the configuration <laughs> is. Of course, Roberto this time around will be coaching, I would assume, Belgium. He's done a marvelous yeah. job. I had such I, I rarely get those, oh, Christ, I can't believe this is happening. I'm working with Vincent Company. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. And he, he was a great chap. And the first day we met, it was like one of those things, hi, Vincent, I'm Bob, we're going to tape something real quickly. He had just come in, I think, from, from Belgium. And we sit down, and he'd done a little bit of media, and he was and showing you what kind of gentleman he is. Uh, he says, excuse me, your name again? He wanted to make sure. He said, it's Bob. <laughs> and, <he's, laughs> and he says, Says, well, that's good because you can't do American television without a Bob. <laughs> <laughs> wow, humor! Like, and that's a guy who speaks five really? languages, right? I think. Yeah, I think- and was was learning Spanish um, that summer because of some new signings for for City. Wow. Hey, Bob, you know, you talk, I lived in Paris for you know five six weeks during the '98 uh, games where I was working for Fox and we had no access to anything. So I had to kind of create stories every day, but I was staying in a downtown apartment. And uh, the first night I came back with the cameraman, opened up the big wooden shutters, sat out there in the fifth floor overlooking the Champs-Élysées. And all of a sudden, like the view, I go, oh my God, the view could not be any better. And all of a sudden the window across from my apartment opens up and a woman starts undressing. And I'm like, I love Paris. <laughs> the view just got a little better. And you know, Bob, I gotta ask you about this because my cameraman- that, By the way, that, that did not happen to me. <laughs> that, uh, bonjour, Kevin. Um, yeah, so we're sitting in a, you know, we'd worked all day and we're sitting at a little cafe. We're having moufrit, right? And he picks up the phone. This is after a long shoot day. He picks up the phone and he says, yeah, we're, we're just at a little French cafe having moufrit and a glass of wine. Uh, and the wife's like, oh, great. I'm giving the babies baths and I'm working. And I'm like, I go, dude, don't, you don't he, ever tell. You that's, a that's a rookie mistake. That's a absolute rookie mistake. <laughs> Sounds like you're having fun all day in, uh, in Paris. So Yeah, you um, don't do that. Oh, no. I'm telling you. Um, Shap, no, Jeremy Shap knows the city uh, even better than I do. He spent a lot of time there. And uh, it's, as you well, it's a great walking city. In a couple of days, we would just pick up, walk out, and we, st- we were in a hotel right across the Seine from, we're right by the Boulevard Saint-Germain, uh, Saint-Germain-de-Prés, and right across from the Louvre. And so that doesn't stink. So we, we just start walking, or you take a short metro trip and just start walking from there. And, you know, you'd stop for lunch. Well, that's two and a half hours. Yeah. And yeah. you can't, you know, I think <laughs> we were there five weeks. I had one average meal. Everything else was like, Mwah. you know, it's, a uh, lot of oh, the food was food was unbelievable. Hey, you know, one thing that's been interesting watching ESPN uh, right now is there sort of, you know, how much, first of all, Sam and I were talking before we got on about how sports are so much a part of our lives and our culture uh, that it's what we do a lot of days. So in the beginning of ESPN, they used to have, you know, all those, you know, tractor pulls and, you know, strongest man competitions and ground ups, you know? Yeah. So uh, it's interesting how they're sort of trying to reinvent themselves right now to entertain America with uh, a lot of old broadcasts, reruns, good stuff. You know, I know how much I enjoyed the, uh, the snow classico. So um, that's gotta be interesting to watch for you. It is. uh, But you know, when we originally ESPN had the classic sports network, which they, it was classic sports and ESPN mm-hmm. purchased it and they turned it into another entity eventually. Um, but, you know, it was always, always ratings challenged, A. So there is a history that suggests that there's a pretty low ceiling for the interest in it. Now, that doesn't really apply when you've got, you know, more than half the country hopefully doing what we're doing, which is sitting and talking and, you know, 
sitting at home. And B, re-airing stuff, you get into a, a whole tangle of rights issues. Like, mm-hmm. I, who wouldn't you? I'd like to see. Replay the 2010 World Cup. Replay the 2014 yeah. World Cup. Even the pregame and the pre- between games. Yeah. Give you this. Well, first off, those rights revert to FIFA, who have a, a, a deep humanitarian bent and a heart of gold yeah. and a very really understanding. <laughs> oh, and so much has changed over there. So much has changed. Yeah, you know, it, it, the reforms have just been so transcendent, <laughs> long-lasting, and meeting. Let me do, I only have a, a napkin here, but let me tear the napkin up yeah. in concert with, you know, those SOBs. But it's not, not just FIFA, but even American domestic leagues and, and, and conferences and whatnot. You'd have to have long conversations with your business partners about the ability to put stuff on ESPN. The day that we're talking intends to re-air home run derby. Well, that's pretty, that's one, that's a one-off. It's mm-hmm. not a game per se. It's obviously an outgrowth of, I'm sure they had conversations with, pardon me, with MLB about that. But I mean, if you're Fox or even if you're, I guess MLB network might even be able to do this. NFL network can do anything. The NFL, of course, you know, uh, they're probably sitting on the vaccine for this, and they'll trot it out in time to save the season. Um, but you got you know, it, it's a legal landscape full of questions. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so, so sports is big business, Bob. And I, you know, I met you in '94 at the World Cup here in the United States. And to think about, I used to go out to do a story. I'd have a, a cameraman, a sound man, a grip, <laughs> you know, all that stuff. And and now it's like. Look what we're doing. We're on Zoom, and the, the technology has changed. Everything has changed. Uh, people have access. Uh, yeah, I mean, Bob, Bob, don't you think that it might actually change moving forward um, how some of the uh, broadcasts are done? I'm not saying everybody's going to be on a phone and stuff, but people are going to realize that maybe we can do some of this stuff a little bit more on the oh, cheap. Yes. I mean, right? first off, on the other side of this, I've been thinking about this a lot. On the other side of this, we're not going to recognize a lot of industries and businesses, A. B, a lot of companies, many of whom we have spoken about by name here, as much as they care earnestly about the safety and welfare of their employees, it's unless Bernie Sanders and, and his bros win the day, this is still a capitalist nation. So profit motive. And so there's my point is there's a bill coming due at the end of this, not just for two trillion here and two trillion there in terms of packages to save the nation economically, specifically discreetly within each major corporation. It's gonna be ugly. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's gonna be ugly. So there's that. That's gonna mean jobs. Yeah. Uh, that may not come back. I mean it just it just will. I mean, just you use your intellect. It can't tell you anything else. Uh, but even before all of this, Grail, we've seen the technology where ESPN Plus, a lot of those games are announced and directed. MLS games are directed from the studio. Mm-hmm. Um, I think cameramen are on, on, uh, in place, but that's it. And, and, and a, lot of ML, a number of MLS teams currently, I believe, I know several, uh, unless it's changed, they don't staff their road games. They call them off a monitor. Right. And, you know, if, if you're, if you're scuffling to, to, to turn a profit, yeah, you got to do something like that. But it's, there's nothing like being at the match. We all know that, but that's not going to rule the day. So, yeah, there's gonna, there are going to be new quote-unquote economies that are going to be ritual now. Yeah, we're even talking about education. You know, my, my daughter's finishing up her, her sophomore year at college online. Uh, the amount that education costs. It's, uh, it's a lot of changes. So, and one of the big changes that we're trying to deal with is the retirement of the general, Mr. Bob Lee. Bob, thanks so much for uh, joining us from an undisclosed location. You and Dick, you bring and Dick back Katie, Bob. Bob. Bring back Bob. Bring Bob. back Bob. Bring we, back uh, Bob. <laughs> we, uh, we'd love to have you again on Over the Ball. Thanks a lot for uh, all the memories uh, you know, of the past and, and the ones we look forward to in the future. Thanks, guys. Always great to speak with you. Stay healthy and be well. Welcome back to OTB. OTB is brought to you by Soccer America. Go to SoccerAmerica.com slash join and sign up for Soccer America's pro membership. This is $4.90 a month or $49 a year. It includes Soccer America Daily, Soccer on TV, Game Reports, Soccer Talk, 
essay confidential, and newsletters. It's a great deal. Perfect gift for, uh, or a stocking stuffer. Do we stock stuffings? Uh, stuck stuffings? What are we doing here? <laughs> and this, and this in December. I know. It's not like President Trump. All right. Uh, today's show is also brought to you by our newest sponsor, Ticket IQ. They're not new, but they're the newest sponsor. Ticket IQ, they're newer than Soccer America is what I mean, basically. <laughs> Ticket IQ is the simplest and cheapest way to buy tickets anywhere. Ticket IQ works directly with teams and other sellers to cut out the fat and offer a low price guarantee that gets you 200% of the difference. You find the same ticket for less on any other major sellers like StubHub. Sam, our producer, grabbed some great Justin Bieber tickets a couple of months ago, and he is still happy about the money he saved. All right, I think, guys. It's post I think, I think that concert's been postponed by No, nah, it was months ago. It was months ago. <laughs> he's, he's still got the poster on his wall. We see it every week. Um, all right, so guys, just absolutely fantastic to talk to Bob Lee. Huh? A little bit of history right here on OTB. Oh, yeah. Well, if, uh, if Dr. Tony Fauci is our national treasurer of public health, general... Bob Lee is our national treasure of sports. Wow, I like is, that one. I think, hey Sam, I think somebody was up last night writing that down. No, no, that's off the top of my head. I mean, he is just the best. Yeah, I mean, to talk to Bob at a moment like this, I feel like is to add nostalgia to nostalgia. Yes. Um, just brings back a lot of a lot of really good memories, you know, surrounding ESPN soccer, all sports, really. Good stuff. Yeah. And, uh, and well, you and know, maybe. And his love of doing love of doing the broadcasts just comes through. I mean, when he's talking about working with Alexi and Taylor and stuff, you know, so many so many broadcasters, it just feel it sounds like it's work, you know, or, or they're not they're not, they don't enjoy it. Bob loved it, you know. You know what? What always strikes me is the he remembers the dates and the people's oh. names. I don't even remember your names as we're doing this <laughs> this thing. And he's talking about 25 years ago, you know, like just goals, goals scored in the 67th minute. Yeah, it's yeah. It just, it's beyond so me. It, it really is. Yeah. So, uh, you know, here he is. He started with the Cosmos as a public address announcer. And he's come all the way through the ups. And we're, I really believe we're at a down now uh, with U.S. soccer, the state of it all. Uh, and all of this comes on the heels of U.S. soccer. Just named a new CEO, Will Wilson. He's uh, going to succeed to Dan Flynn. No, no relation. Um, but apparently he's Andrew Luck's uncle and his former agent. So he previously worked at MLS, uh, Soccer United Marketing, and the NFL. So um, so the first order of business, I guess, is dealing with the U.S. Women's National Team uh, yeah. in coordination with Cindy Parlow. But that Soccer United Marketing connection and MLS connection and NFL connection uh, puts him very perilously close to Don Garber. Um, is there going to be, are they going to think as one grail? What are your thoughts? Or are they, well, is he going to well, be a separate entity? Like it should be. Well, Don supported his candidacy, candidacy obviously, because he knows Will very well. And, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, to me, the proof is in what he does when he comes in. And, and to me, jobs number one, two, and three, along with Cindy Parlow is sitting down or conferencing, I should say, or doing social distancing with the U.S. Women's National Team and just coming up with an agreement. I mean, honestly, in the next couple months before they go to trial in May, I believe is the trial date, they got to get this thing sorted out in April. Um, so let's just see what he does. You know, I mean, there are a lot of questions about some of his uh, past jobs or whatever, but he clearly has uh, a lot of experience um, in the uh, executive yeah. ranks. And uh, let's see, I'm not, I'm not going to judge him until we see what he does. Well, we have a lot of problems. You'd have the, the fact that we didn't get to the World Cup, the fact that maybe, you know, um, Jurgen Klinsmann had a, a too sweet of a deal, too much control, was a, lost control for too long before he was called onto the carpet. Uh, the negotiations with the women, uh, the World Cup coming up, qualifications. Uh, you know, Ernie Stewart didn't take on the job for a long time. There was a, a lull there. Uh, there wasn't a na national team coach appointed. Uh, now we have the Greg Berhalter system being implemented, as Grail loves to discuss every week. Uh, so uh, a lot of things have to happen. And then also, what's that um, glass door or glass ceiling where they, they talk about the work environment and it got a bad review on that, where people saying they're all stuffed into this small building. And we're having growing pains in this, uh, in this game 
uh, of ours in the world. So uh, Inter so interesting to interesting. see a Andrew Luck's name come up again. I know he's a yes. big soccer fan because he grew up in London, right? Yeah, huge, huge soccer. Yeah, fan. Well, I, yeah, I wonder if we don't see him involved in some MLS franchise. You know, down. No, I, down the I bet you he will line. be. Yeah. You know, his father's also an athletic director. I think in West Virginia. Um, you know, Sam. Well, he was the head of the XFL. Oliver Luck, his dad, was actually right. the commissioner of the XFL. So there are a lot of tangents running between those three guys. And, you know, we've had uh, Mike Noonan and Sasha um, Swarovski from the University of Maryland who are trying to get the soccer season split in college soccer. And uh, Andrew Luck's dad at University of West Virginia was one of them, was one of the guys who was yeah. on board saying this is a, this is a good thing. So, uh, so there's a connection there. So, yeah. All right, boys. So uh, not much on in the way of soccer this weekend, unless you're tuning into Belarus uh, pickup games. Of course um, I will. Come on. I love that. that what, are we, uh, what are we looking forward to, gents? Yeah, not a lot. I mean, if, if, you're, if you're a Downton Abbey fan, Julian Fellows, the creator, writer of that show, has a new show out about the history of soccer in England, how it went from kind of, you know, an upper class sport to a working man's sport. Uh, review in the Guardian is pretty blunt. Um, says it's Downton Abbey for boys. It is terrible. So you might want to no, check that no. out. Oh, I'm definitely. If an oh, English yeah. writer says it's terrible, I'm checking it out because I'm going <laughs> to yeah. probably like it. Well, just just an interesting aside on the whole class thing when it comes to soccer in England is the school that I went to when I lived in England as a kid was a public school, which is, for us is a private school. And we didn't play soccer. We played rugby because soccer was looked at as being a lower class sport. So the certain schools in England would not play soccer because they were above it. So yeah, it's, sure you know, Julian Fellows gets into that. And, um, you know, you're living there. I mean, a lot of my English friends always talk about that. They say if they open their mouth, their accent gives them away as to what their education level is and what region mm -hmm. of the country they're at. So mm -hmm. it's uh, always funny listening to that stuff. Yeah. So, uh, all right, guys, well, good show in a time, very difficult uh, period of time in our country right now. And no one knows, you know, what's going to happen, but uh, there's always over the ball for your entertainment, everybody. Let's uh, hope everybody gets through this, uh, this international world emergency that we uh, have going on right now. And hopefully everyone takes this seriously so we can minimize the amount of the fallout and quite frankly, the amount of deaths that, uh, that occur uh, because of could this. I, could I also give a shout out quickly, Plenty? Yep. I'd like to give a shout out to my uh, Asian brothers and sisters who are getting some unnecessary flack out there in social media. And uh, I just want to say, we love all of you people. We love you all equally. And I'm sorry for anything that is coming your way. Can you say you people? I don't think you can say you people. No, I said, uh, no, no. I, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm, but I, I look, you, you're, you're right. And it, it just seems like uh, we're all in this together. So it doesn't matter exactly. what race, color, or ethnicity you are. We're all in this together. The coronavirus does not uh, differentiate. So, um, all right, everybody. Uh, for Sam Griswold and Grail Hallett, I'm Kevin Flynn. This is Over the Ball. I'd like to thank our sponsors, Ticket IQ and Soccer America. And of course, the general, the great Bob Lee. Thanks for being pulled out of retirement and jumping on our little podcast here. All right, everybody, we'll talk to you next week. Uh, be safe out there and um, let's get to the end of this so we can, so we can live our lives again and uh, watch a little soccer and I don't have to be a chambermaid or a short order cook. All right, everyone. So TB, we're out. Mm -hmm.